Welcome to A Life Invested, a podcast dedicated to helping you create the lifestyle of your dreams by investing in people, assets, and yourself. I'm your host, Roger Comstock. All right, my friends, welcome back to A Life Invested. I was gone last week in Austin, Texas with some family, and I am just super grateful to be back at it this week with an exceptional individual. This is Sean Michael Crane, and at 23, Sean Crane was sentenced to seven years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Just imagine what that would have felt like. This would have been absolutely brutal. With nothing, with nothing positive to show for his life up to that point and a massive challenge ahead, he had a decision to make. Would he give up and let the rest of his life pass him by like the first 23 did? Or could he face his fears, fight through the pain, and pursue the life he had, he had always wanted? From a small cement box, Sean was able to take control of his life. He completely transformed his mentality, his routines, and the results he got in his life. He says, in that cell, I started to create the life of my dreams that I'm able to live today. Sean Crane is a life coach, speaker, and best-selling author with an incredible story of perseverance and determination. He's used hardships and life experience to reach others and inspire them to conquer their fears and pursue the life they have always dreamed of living just as he has. It's inspiring to have him on the show today. Sean, welcome to the show, brother. Glad you're here. Yeah, thanks, Roger. I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm excited. Hey, you bet. You bet. First and foremost, before anything else, before diving in here, I want to make sure that individuals that want to learn more about you and follow you as far as what you're doing can, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, they can connect with me right on Instagram, Shaw Michael Crane uh, or shawmichaelcrane.org. Uh, that's the easiest way to reach out to me if they'd like to. Awesome. So yeah, on Instagram, Shawn Michael Crane, or you go to his website, shawmichaelcrane.org. Org. And he's got a lot of great resources uh, from the experiences that he's had. Just a, a very inspirational individual. So excited to hear more about his, his story today. Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get arrested and put in jail for a crime that you, you didn't commit? Yeah. It, you know, when you say that, it still sounds surreal, Roger. I told you that before we started. Um, and I tell this story often, but in order to really understand uh, the significance of it, I, you know, I'll take you back to childhood. Growing up in Santa Barbara, California, which is such a beautiful location in the world. I mean, this is like a tourist destination for people all over the world. And I got to call it home. And I still do to this day. And I grew up with really a great life. Uh, I had a lot of cousins and family in the area. Uh, I had a lot of friends in my neighborhood. We grew up in what felt like a suburb or it was a suburb, uh, only about five minutes away from the Pacific Ocean. So my life consisted of sports school, going to the beach, hanging out with friends, playing with my cousins. And it appeared great. You know, and as a kid, I had these big dreams. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to more specifically play in the MLB. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And that was my dream, man. And I felt fully capable to carry those dreams out. I felt like I had the talent and there was nothing going to stop me. And then around 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old is when I started noticing my home life was different than the other kids. My parents were different than the other parents. I just started having more awareness and picking up on these things and come to find out they had both been battling drug and alcohol addiction my entire life. And they were just holding it together. You know, and then at the age of 14, everything came breaking apart. Uh, my dad was intoxicated and he had a pistol that he was, you know, I guess you could say brandishing a weapon. He, he had a gun. And he was threatening people around my household. And he was arrested for that crime in a really dramatic fashion in front of my siblings and I uh, at gunpoint. It looked like he was going to be in a standoff or a shootout. And it was very traumatic. And then months later, 
it felt like the next day, in fact, my mother's drug habit just completely took over her. And she ended up abandoning us. So at 14, my freshman year in high school, I lost both parents. And I didn't know how to deal with the emotional impact of that time in my life. I was so young. I was still trying to form my own identity as a young man and figure out my path in life. And at that point, I just felt hopeless. And I just remember my whole world went from feeling optimistic and hopeful to really dark and sinister in the blink of an eye. And I ended up going down a really dark path myself. I started using drugs and drinking at school or with friends uh, to try to numb out that pain. And I quickly realized that when I was altered on a substance, I didn't have to think about what my life had come to. I didn't have to feel that pain. For that moment, I could stay numb and pretend it wasn't real. And so from 14 to 24, that's what I did. I ran for my problems. I stayed in denial. I numbed myself as much as I could. And I didn't do anything with my life. Literally nothing. I didn't go to college like I was supposed to. I didn't even go to high school. I barely graduated. I didn't play any sports. I didn't apply myself in any form or fashion. And so then at the age of 23, I was at a party in this really iconic area of Santa Barbara known as the Mesa, which is just these beautiful homes overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And there was an altercation between two groups of men. One of the group, group one of the uh, individuals and one of the groups I had known. So I was talking with them at that party and I ended up getting dragged into this fight. You know, it's like right on the front lawn. It turns into this big old brawl. I mean, people everywhere. And I get tackled from the side. And I thought that I was getting jumped. I thought that they had mistaken me for one of the individuals fighting them. And everyone was just drinking. You know, it's one of those house parties that goes crazy. And I start, um, I get tackled to the ground. And I thought I was going to start getting kicked and jumped. And nothing happened. And I'm sitting there bear hugging this guy on top of me, trying to roll him off of me, trying to get up. And nothing happens. I still can't get this person off of me. And finally, I do. I roll him over. And as we're standing up, the only thing I can think of is I'm defending myself. Like, these guys are attacking me. And I threw two punches at him that didn't even hit him. They kind of grazed the side of his head. But when I stood up, he did not stand up, which I thought was very odd. In the moment, it's happening so sporadically. You know, you can barely make sense of what's going on. You're just reacting. But I remember thinking, why didn't he get up? I didn't even hit him. And he stayed face down. And, as, and, and I started walking towards the street where people are yelling my name, Sean, let's go, let's get out of here. And everyone's starting to flee. And I get under the street light and I'm covered in blood, Roger, like face is covered in blood, arms, my whole chest. And I'm thinking, what the heck just happened? You know, and uh, they all start running up the street and they're waving at me to run and follow them. And I couldn't run when I got tackled, my back and leg got injured. So I was limping up the street. And at this time, you hear sirens starting to uh, appear in the distance. And then the cops are coming around the corner, racing down the street. And they went right by us. And uh, we actually walked into this adjacent building, which had a laundromat in it. And my friend, like, literally threw a shirt at me that he had pulled out of this dryer in a laundromat in the neighborhood. And he's like, you can't walk around covered in blood like that. Put your shirt on. And so I put the shirt on. And he had called the cab because we were all leaving that night. The party was over. It was like a done deal. And we left and we went to his place where we essentially passed out. We were so altered on, you know, drugs and alcohol that night. But the next morning when I woke up, it was like a nightmare. It was like, oh my gosh, that wasn't uh, a dream though. It was real. And I remember Googling fight on the Mesa. And sure enough, it said two men were stabbed last night at a party on the Mesa. 
and one was critically injured. He's on life support and the, they don't think he's going to make it. They think he's going to die. And then later that day, the cops came to that residence and arrested me at gunpoint, charged me with attempted murder. Wow, man, dude, that's, that, that's, uh, that's crazy. That happened. So let's kind of backtrack and understand exactly what happened here. So basically, I mean, you're at this party, there's this fight that breaks it out on the lawn, right out front. You go down there and what were, you went down there just to try to help out. Is that kind of what you had originally done? No, I, I was being a knucklehead and I was, I wanted to see the fight and I was too close. I shouldn't have been out there. I shouldn't have been on the lawn that close. I mean, you have like these two groups of guys facing off about to fight. You could tell they're exchanging heated words and I'm too close. I'm right there in the mix behind this group of guys watching and I had no business being out there. So then when the fight broke out, it was like pandemonium. It happened so quick and all of a sudden I'm being tackled from the side. And, and then, you know, those guys were using weapons. And I didn't know that. And so when the one individual was stabbed and then he was wrestling with me, uh, he got blood all over me, you know? And so what happened is no one saw the initial attack. They all came out and saw me wrestling around with this guy because they heard the noise and commotion. And then they saw me throwing those two punches at him and getting up and fleeing. So in the police report, it said, uh, oh, we saw Sean on top of this guy. Um, throwing punches, or they use the word striking in a downward motion towards him and then running away. So the police report looked really bad, you know, um, and now they went to back and retrieved my shirt covered in blood. So now you have evidence, right? DNA evidence. Um, you have eyewitness testimony saying they saw me on top of this guy throwing punches towards him and then he doesn't get up and he's stabbed up and has all these wounds and no one saw the initial attack. So it looked really really bad. I mean, when I read it, I, I knew I was doomed, man. I, I read the police report and I, I felt hopeless in that moment. I thought my life was over. As you kind of read, when you were reading that and you started to kind of put pieces together going, Oh no, right? I didn't do this, but it looks like they're going to, I'm going to be accused for this. What, what thoughts were going through your mind and how are you coping with those, those thoughts? Did it, it seem was really real? I was in shock. You know, honestly, like that first month that I was incarcerated, at least the first two weeks, I was in complete shock and it seems surreal. And for the first couple of weeks, you don't get the police report. So I'm thinking, OK, it's a case of mistaken identity. The truth is going to come out. They're going to come here and say, hey, Crane, like, get out of here, man. We got the wrong person, essentially. I, I could never imagine in a million years that I was going to be charged with an attempted murder. I didn't do and face a life sentence in prison. But when I went to court the first day, which was within 72 hours, you have to go to court. And I walk in and I'm shackled up and I'm just like deer in the headlights. You know, I'm like, I'm like shocked, you know, what's going on. And as I walk in, uh, there's members of the news press and they're writing notes and they're whispering, looking at me and they're even taking my picture. They put my picture on the front page of the Santa Barbara news press. And so I walked in and I see my lawyer walking towards me. She had been up front having a conversation with the district attorney and the judge. So I was hopeful for a second to see someone who represented me to get some information. And the only thing she said to me is the judge and the district attorney want to change your charges to homicide. The victim's in a coma right now and they don't think he's going to make it. So they're going to talk about amending your charges today to homicide. And that was all she said to me. And then I sat down by myself and, you know, the court proceedings carried on. Nothing happened that day with my charges and they never changed them. But that was my initial experience with the court system and my lawyer 
and it was it was uh heartbreaking man it it really was well i can't i honestly cannot even imagine brother you're you're such a great i just feel so thankful to know you you are an exceptional person and very very inspiring it's again what i want to do right now is encourage people um to to go follow sean because man he is uh he's an individual that is changing the world and making a big difference positively in people's lives with the way that he's totally changed his life around and uh, it's just it's really really um excited to be able to to watch you do what you're doing now um so tell me really quick with this situation as you start, I, I mean, you explained that somebody's going to come in and it's just going to be kind of a mishap. Like, all right, Sean, you know, come out. Um, you're good to go. We had the wrong guy. As it set in, you know, as you started to realize, like, wait a minute, like this, this is actually happening and they, they are going to put me in jail. What, what were some of your initial thoughts? And then how did you combat those things? Because the reason I want to hear about this is so many people would take that as just completely demoralizing, right? And just like, man, what's the what do I even do? Right. This life that I had wanted to have in the future is, you know, supposedly not there for the next, however long, because you were there. Sounds like it was a life sentence, but it, it was moved down to seven years. Right. Which we can talk about as well. But, but what were the, some of those initial thoughts after you realized it set in? Yeah. So for like the first month, I think I was still in denial. Like I wasn't accepting that this was reality and I almost couldn't, it seemed too far fetched and too surreal for me to grasp that it was really happening. Uh, and as days passed and nothing was changing and no new information was coming out, uh, it was the worst feeling you could ever imagine. Like, this is really happening to you. And I'll never forget, I called my lawyer one day from my cell. We had pay phones in certain cells. Um, and I go, hey, you know, like, what's going on? I'm just trying to figure out, is there any new information? What do you think? What is your gut feeling? And he told me, well, Sean, you're definitely going to prison. We know that. We're not going to be able to change that at this point. As, as of now, it's just a matter of how long you're going to be in prison for. And that was it. And it was so uh, like callous, like there was no empathy there. You know, these lawyers and these people in the court system deal with this day in and day out. Uh, and this is my life. And this guy on the other end of the phone, like he deals with guys who are going to prison for life all the time. So the way he said it, it really just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I realized in that moment, no one was coming to save me, Roger that this was upon me to persevere. And I'd never been put in a situation in my entire life where I was in a, a pure state of survival. Like I had to find a strength within me to persevere that I didn't even know I possessed. And so what happened was when I realized that, uh, you know, I almost went into this like deep state of reflection. And I, I started thinking about my life and I was stuck in the cell for 23 hours a day at this point. I literally didn't leave sometimes for two or three days at a time. And so I'm just in this constant state of introspection, trying to figure out how did this happen? Where did I go wrong? And what did I do to get here? You know, and I didn't feel guilty, not even for a second for the crime that they were accusing me because I knew I was innocent and I never felt guilt. But as I started to look back on my life, I felt a tremendous amount of guilt for the choices I had made and the way I lived my life. And being a young man and being so distraught from what was taking place at home, I didn't realize what I was doing to myself. I didn't realize that every excuse I had made, every moment I wasted, every opportunity I let pass me by would come back to haunt me. But that's what happened. I saw the version of who I could have been versus the person I'd settled for and become. And that truth and that honest like introspection in that moment changed something in me forever. 
you know, and I felt almost like I was dying in that cell. I felt like I was dead or, and I got a second chance at life. It's hard to explain, but I ended up realizing I was only going to do seven years in prison. And I didn't look at that as a detriment to my life. I looked at it as an opportunity and a blessing. And the reason I was able to have that mental shift take place was because I looked back on that time in my life and I was not proud of anything I did, not one thing. And I made a promise to myself when I was in that tiny little cell that no matter what I did for the rest of my life, no matter how long I spent in prison or what transpired, I was always going to be my best and authentic self. I was never again going to let an opportunity pass me by. I was never again going to make an excuse. I was always going to give my all and be my best because I wanted to go to sleep every night and look myself in the mirror and feel proud of who I was and know deep down inside, no matter what anyone said or what happened, that I was proud of who I was. And I was living that life that I felt that I deserved and could live. And so that was the beginning of my transformation. It was just a commitment to myself to be better and a willingness to fight and never give up. Like it was so hard though, man. I mean, there were some days and nights where you feel hopeless, you're tormented, you're afflicted, but something inside of me would not let me quit or give up. I just had to keep pushing forward and I had to keep my faith and belief alive that things could get better one day. How, right? Like here's the, cause there's so many people, I, I think it's fascinating to hear this story because so many individuals could have chosen to be in the same situation you were in and blame everybody else. They're like, man, this is just the worst situation. I didn't do anything. I shouldn't be here. My life's terrible. I can't believe this happened to me. I'm cursed, right? All of this stuff. And what I love so much about you, Sean, is the way that you think about things and your mindset. It is truly remarkable, right? I've, I don't know if uh, for listeners that are currently um, learning from Sean, this is such a great experience to hear his story, but there's a great book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And what I love about it is Viktor Frankl was in a, a very challenging situation as, as well, um, kind of out of nowhere too, right? Put into these concentration camps and it came very undeserving to him, but he found meaning in that experience, regardless of how challenging it was, he found that there was meaning through, through that terrible, horrific um, experience in his life. And what I love listening, uh, love about listening to you, Sean, is that you too have found that. And one of, uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Tony Robbins. And he says, life happens for you and not to you. And you seem to have mastered kind of the essence of that quote. And so I'd love to hear how you were able to train your mind when things were hard and dark and you felt lonely. And I'm sure you were scared, right? Being vulnerable. I'm sure it was, I mean, 23 year old kid, I would have been scared to death and just thinking, man, what's going on, right? So how were you able to train your mind at such a young age to be able to do such um, powerful things? Yeah, those are great questions, Roger. So uh, first of all, let me backtrack a second. You know, when you asked me, how did you not stay bitter or angry about your situation? It's because I truly felt so guilty and ashamed for the way I chose to live. You know, when I was younger, I blamed my parents. Uh, I blamed everyone in the whole world for what was happening to me. But that didn't help me. It kept me stuck. You know, it kept me stuck in a negative mindset, not taking responsibility for my life, not changing anything. So when I got to that cell, I developed this clarity, like hindsight is 2020, you hear that, right? And I could see everything so perfectly. I literally had nothing but time to think all day long. 
just stuck in this little cell. And the truth emerged. It was so clear. Like, man, you could have lived a different life just because your parents left you or all that stuff happened. You still made bad choices. And I took full responsibility for being in that cell, for being at that party, for everything that was happening to me. And I just knew out of instinct that to waste time being angry at the cops or the DA or the judge or anybody wasn't going to help me get out of that jail cell. It was only going to keep me stuck. And all of my energy and focus at that moment had to be geared towards getting out of that cell or changing my life for the better. It was pure survival. And I tell people this all the time. I was almost fortunate to be put in that situation because the things that a lot of people struggle with out here, I had to adopt and implement instantaneously in order to survive and persevere. It was like, okay, blame, being a victim, negative thinking, none of that's going to help me. That's just going to weigh me down and hold me back. I can't do any of that stuff. And I just made a decision in that moment that everything I did had to help me to get out of that cell and to change my life. And so then the next step was learning how to control my thoughts. Because I would wake up in the morning stuck in this tiny little box and immediately I would think I'm going to be in prison for the rest of my life. They are not going to let me out. I'm going to do life in prison. Oh my gosh, what's happening to me? And when I would think that way, I would be overcome by this dread, this anxiety, and I was crippled by it. Or I would start dwelling on the past and all the stuff I did wrong, all the changes I wish I would have made, all the things that I could not go back and change now. And when that would happen, I would be overwhelmed by depression. I would feel sad and sorrowful. So I realized this was the battle and fight I had to face every day. This was where the battle was going to be won or lost. It was my self-talk and the meaning that I was giving to this experience. So what I started doing is I started training my mind to believe that this experience could somehow, some way benefit me. And the way I did that is I looked at the things that I wanted to change about myself that I knew were not authentic and true to who I was. The first was my sobriety. I had abused drugs and alcohol for so long. I didn't want to do that, but I, I didn't think that I could do anything else to get through day to day in my life. That was a crutch for me. So I made a promise to myself that I was never going to use drugs or alcohol ever again. And every day I'd wake up and I'd think, okay, maybe this experience is saving your life. Maybe you would have overdosed. Maybe this experience is giving you the time you need to accumulate some sobriety and get in touch with who you really are. Maybe without this experience, you never would have been able to overcome those demons. And I just started believing that and telling myself that every day. And I've been clean and sober 10 years, by the way, from that moment. Um, wow. So that was one thing I started doing. The second was exactly what you said. I'd ask myself, what if this experience could be happening to help you, Sean? What if you were going to go down a really dark path for the rest of your life and just be unhappy and, and live this mediocre life at best? What if this experience has given you a reset to do things differently, to get away from your toxic relationships, to break those bad habits, to give you a chance to be that person you've always wanted to be? So it was the self-talk and these questions, the way I had adjusted them to, to empower me, to give me hope for the future versus defeat me that allowed me to start combating those negative emotions. And I realized when I did this every morning, you know, and I'd think about what if in a good way versus a negative way, I didn't feel like I was at a loss of control over my emotions. In fact, I could combat anxiety. I could combat stress and just be in the moment. Uh, so that was the early stages of me taking control of my mental and emotional state. And what happened next was I naturally would get up throughout that day and go, well, like, what can I do to better myself then today? You know, if I'm really thinking this experience is happening for me, not to me, how can I prove that? Like, I need to do something. I just felt I need to take action. So that led me to just doing small, simple things in my cell every day that helped me to feel good about myself. 
simple, trivial things like push-ups, writing letters back home, reading books, looking up words in the dictionary, whatever I could do that just helped me to get 1% better every day. That's where my focus went. And within a couple of months, I wasn't even thinking about my time in prison. I wasn't thinking about the past. I was immersed in the moment. And this only happened because I was able to take control over my thoughts and my emotional state. So I very much was able to embody that statement that you made earlier. Life is happening for me, not to me. I had to first believe it, but then I had to prove through my actions that it was true. That's that's a, that's unique, a very unique perspective and one that I think everyone could learn from. I wish everyone in the world could listen to you. Right? It's probably why you started your program to make a dent in the world because that's certainly what you're doing. I want to hear all about that in just a little bit, like why why you started your program and what kind of got you on that path. I want to talk about something that you said that I thought was um, just super helpful for people, right? This, this idea you said, it was almost fortunate that I was put there, right? Again, this is a new paradigm for people. Stephen, Stephen R. Covey talks about the way we see the world kind of like a pair of glasses, right? So you and I could be looking at the same thing, but if I'm wearing a blue pair of glasses and you're wearing a green pair of glasses, I'm going to see that thing and it's going to look blue to me and you're going to see it and it's going to look green. So somebody in your situation in, in a little tiny jail cell could have a completely different, and most people do have a totally different set of glasses on. They think, woe is me. This is the worst. And I don't deserve this. This isn't fair, right? That, that would have been, I mean, anybody would have, anybody else I can think of would have thought those same thoughts, but you're just so inspiring, right? This idea of, wow, this, this is an opportunity for me. And that, that was the meaning that you associated with it. And it probably changed your state into one of gratitude instead of feelings of misery. It's probably more like, wow, I'm grateful for this experience. It's giving me an opportunity to reflect and change my life and become a new, better person. And I just think, dude, this is, it's a, that is really, really just a wonderful um, way to live your life. I, I'm learning so much. I'm just writing notes over here, just loving what you're sharing. Um, wanted to talk about a couple of things too. Like you talked about how you're just able to reflect. Um, I love that you learned how to control your mind. I think that's something that people throughout the entirety of their whole lives experiences or, or their whole life experience, they try to do that. They try to figure that out. You were able to do it at a very young age. And so um, diving maybe a bit deeper, how do you think you were able to get to a point to have those moments of reflection? I know you mentioned, you know, you felt guilty about your past. You wanted to change your past, but why was the way you were thinking different than the way other people who were most likely in similar situations, right? There's been people in those types of situations. Uh, so, so how was your mindset different? How did you condition it to be that way? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I tell people um, sobriety for the first time in 10 years, the severity of my situation, thinking your life's over mm. and solitude. It was like the perfect combination, the perfect concoction for this perspective shift that took place. If I would have just been in jail for like a DUI and maybe I'm looking at like, or whatever, like something that was minor, I don't think it would have had the same impact on me. Um, if I wasn't sober, I wouldn't have clarity. I wouldn't have been able to have these uh, like emotions and this, these thoughts and this thought process. Uh, and then the solitude. I mean, being free of distractions for the first time in your life 
I became aware of this internal dialogue that I didn't even know existed for 23 years. I became aware of parts of myself and learned more about myself in those first months in the county jail than I had for the first 23 years. And it just revolutionized my whole perspective and the way I think about myself in the world. I, I couldn't believe what was happening to me. Uh, so I was in this constant state of introspection every day, almost like peeling back layers, right, of an onion, just like delving deeper within myself, asking why, why did this happen? Why did I behave that way? And I just learned about myself. You know, I discovered myself. That's the best way I could describe it. And what happened was, as I got through the layers of pain and, you know, the behaviors that I had demonstrated for so long and almost this fictitious person I created out of necessity to protect myself, I discovered, you know, that boy, that kid at my heart who I truly identify with. And when that happened, I'll never forget, I knew what it meant to love yourself. You know, for the first 23 years of my life, I'd hear people talk about self-love and I could not connect to it. I didn't understand it. I thought it was just some corny statement people made. But in that cell, in that moment, I, I started to love myself again. And that's when I really started to fall back in love with life, you know? And you talk about perspective. I, I would write letters home and try to describe what was happening to me because I couldn't even put words to the feelings and emotions. And I told people, I said, imagine going your whole life and you could see the world only through black and white. And then one day you could see colors. I said, that's how I feel. And they couldn't believe it because I'm looking at a life sentence. My whole life has been taken away from me. But I realized in that experience that the things we oftentimes associate, you know, success or value or, or these material items that we glorify, that's not where my true happiness and joy came from. It was from me being able to really connect with who I wanted to be my whole life and then committing myself to be that person going forward. And so what started to happen was I was going to sleep in that jail cell the happiest version of myself I had ever been. I remember going to sleep in that jail cell, not even knowing how much time I was going to do in prison, feeling more gratitude and love for myself and my life than I had ever had before. And when that happened, I knew that I had tapped into something special. And I knew that, like, I didn't know, but my mission then became from there on forward to continue to keep this energy and perspective alive. Like I just wanted to hold on to this feeling and I just wanted to do my time so I could come home and share this with my family and the world. And that was the initial stages of my transformation. So I think it was the combination of the severity of my event, um, sobriety for the first time in 10 years, and then being stuck in a cell for 23 hours a day and just delving within myself in that self-discovery process. So it's, it's interesting because if we look at like the source of happiness, Right, like where, where it actually comes from. Uh, I mean, I, I got a bit, a, a little emotional when you're explaining kind of this idea that you had, because I think it's so uh, meaningful for people, right? This idea that, you know, you're living in black and white your whole life. You were out of jail, right? Living, yeah. looking, looking through this lens of black and white, and you're sitting in a jail cell and all of a sudden your perspective changes and you, you, uh, you know, metaphorically start seeing things in color and you're happier than you've ever been. You love yourself. And so what this proves is that happiness is internal. It's a state. It's, it's something we can choose to experience through the way we think about life, that we are the captain of our own internal environments and the external forces don't dictate the way that we are supposed to feel or have to feel because a lot of other people, it's very interesting. I think this is one of the things I think is so inspiring about you as well. 
some people use blame like a drug to numb themselves out, right? Instead, one of the things I've noticed about you is that you're very responsible and insanely accountable, right? It's like, I did this. It was my mistake. I needed to fix this. I had made bad decisions. I had, I had parents that had made all of these rough choices, and, but I, I chose to make bad decisions myself. Instead of saying, ah, my childhood sucked. It was so hard. My parents were bad. I was abandoned at 14. You know, that's why everything happened. It's like just very deep accountability. And I'd imagine that was probably one of the foundational reasons you were able to create some of those changes, right? Because a lot of people too, like you think about it, they can say, hey, but by blaming external factors, it's a way they can say, I can't really do anything about it anyway. So I'm going to just you know, inject this blame into myself and take a deep breath because man, now I don't have to worry about anything because it's everything. It's everybody else's fault. It's not mine, but it's probably, I mean, it, it is painful to take responsibility and accountability for things, but it is cleansing, right? It is motivating and it is meaningful to be able to say, I actually, and it brings light and hope into people's lives to say, I can affect an outcome. I can change. Dude, I just, I, I just think the world of you, this is such a, um, I'm so grateful that you're here. I feel so thankful you're on the show because what an inspiring story. Um, it's just amazing. I, I wanted to ask you, so um, you, you happen to go to jail, right? And that's where you, you learned these things. So for people that aren't, because I'd imagine there's a lot of people that aren't in jail that are in the same state you were in before you went to jail. Right. And they, they need, they need something to help them change. Like jail was for you, right? Even though you were falsely convicted, it wasn't anything you did, right? You were falsely accused, but you were put in jail. But like you said, that was a transformative experience for you. How can individuals who have not been sentenced to jail have those wake up calls that you did? Right. So people that are not in jail, how can they, cause you, you are a new man, right? From when you were a kid. So how can somebody else have that same experience without having to go to jail? Yeah, that's a great question, Roger. And that's a question I've asked myself over and over and over. You know, I wanted everyone in the world to feel what I felt. I wanted to share my experience with the world because I knew that people would be better off if they could experience what I felt internally. Uh, so when I came home, I started after five and a half years of focusing on myself and knowing that I want to come home and make an impact on this world. I recognized how many people are trapped in a mental prison, just like I had been prior to jail. But in jail, I broke free of that mental prison and I was able to experience more joy, gratitude and self-love than ever before. And when that happened, I knew I have to share this process with the world. And when I came home, that's why I created my coaching program, because I wanted to help people to let go of their fears and doubts, break free of those limitations that are preventing them from taking action towards the life they really want. What I've recognized through conversations with people over the last five years is that everyone has a truth, whether you realize it or not. Everyone has a truth that they're gifted. I truly believe this. Like We have these passions and these dreams for a specific purpose. This isn't an accident. Most people know deep down in their heart who they want to be and what they want to do, but they're scared to take on that journey. They're fearful of what people will think. They're scared of failure. They're having all these doubts and they never take action. And I truly believe that we're here to pursue that vision. And when we become willing and courageous enough to take action, 
amazing things happen. And I'm living proof of that. And I know if I could do it, anyone can. So what I would say to people who feel stuck is first, you have to acknowledge what is that truth? Are you aware of it? Do you know what you really want? Like if you could write down what your life would be like on paper and in a year or two from now, it would come to reality. What would you write down? If you knew definitively, whatever you wrote down, the amount of money you want to make, your relationships, your health, whatever it is, what would you write down? You know, that's one of the first steps I take people through because I want them to acknowledge what is my truth and how different is that from what I'm settling for or what I'm accepting in my life. And now they see it. They're like, whoa, like if I could live that life, that would be amazing. You know, now it's like, well, why aren't you? What are, what are the beliefs that you have about yourself that are preventing you from taking action? What are the experiences from the past that you haven't let go of or healed from that are casting doubt on who you are? You know, what is that internal dialogue? And just that awareness initially can facilitate a perspective shift that gives them courage eventually to pursue that vision. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's a process. So from there, though, I, you know, what I've done is I've created a series of steps that help them to get closer and closer and closer towards pursuing that life so that they can build momentum. They can build belief in themselves. They can facilitate that identity shift and that it seems much more feasible over time to go after some of those goals and to create that life. Wow. So, and I, I really, really like what you taught about, you know, a mental prison, right? Because I think, like you said, people are stuck there. And so it sounds like you're, you're enabling and helping people to get out of that, right? Break free from their own kind of internal inhibitions that are stopping them from accomplishing their potential. What a great mission that you're on, man. You're, like I said, you're changing people's lives. And because of that, you're, you're changing the world. And I, I think that is, um, amazing. I think you're amazing. And so I'm, I'm really, really grateful for you. Uh, let me, let me ask you uh, a couple more questions too. Like if you could um, go to lunch, you know, with, with anybody from history, who, who would that person be? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'd go to lunch with someone in the present, maybe. Uh, let me think. I mean, throughout history, um, I mean, gosh, kind of a part of me wants to say my dad because I miss him. He passed away last year. You know, people that are close to me like that. But if I want to pick someone's brain and learn from him, I mean, the first person, honestly, that popped in my head was Ed Milet. That's someone that I really look up to. And uh, I love what he's about his mission. He's contemporary. He's here making an impact right now. Um, you know, I always told people I want to go to lunch with like Edison or Benjamin Franklin or Napoleon Hill, um, some of those individuals. So it's hard for me to pick one person, honestly, Roger. I love that you said Napoleon Hill. And I know you had mentioned that while you were in prison, you had read a lot. Was that where that habit was kind of born at, in prison? Or was that something that you had done a little bit before you had gone in? And also, which books have been most impactful for you in your life to develop this? This might, uh, James Allen, he's great. He wrote the book, As a Man Thinketh. Um, and one of the things I love about your mind is James Allen said, your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are the seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. And you have masterfully learned how to create like the garden of Eden in your mind. Right. And so which, which books did you read that made such a meaningful impact for you? Yeah. So before prison, I didn't read at all. You know, I never read. Now, when I was in jail and prison, you have a lot of time on your hands and reading is something that I fell in love with. So I started getting any books sent in that I could related to personal development. I wanted to just learn as much as I could. And I read every book you could imagine 
related to self-help and personal development. Like all the books that we recommend out here, uh, I, I devoured them and I just started accruing this information and knowledge. And it was the timing of Thinking Grow Rich that was so impactful. This came about three years into my journey of self-discovery. And um, when I read his book, I felt like he was reading my soul, like my truth was in that book. And I never identified with words as much as I did when I read Thinking Grow Rich about, you know, desire and just creating what you want using the power of your mind and just everything that he described. It was just perfect timing. And so that book, that book was life changing for me because of the timing. A couple of things. It showed me that I was on the right track. Like I hadn't read any of those books, but I was naturally gravitating towards these principles that we're discussing right here about, you know, your self-talk, tapping into a gratitude perspective, life is happening for you, um, small daily actions, build life-changing results over time. Like I just naturally and instinctively, I gra gravitated towards all of these principles and all of these uh, actionable steps that I was reading about now in these books. Um, Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, right? I was doing that stuff, like uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I was like, oh, I'm doing this stuff. I was doing all the things that the gurus were writing about. When I read about uh, the morning, the miracle morning, I can't think of the author's name off the top of my head, uh, but I was doing that stuff too. You know, I developed the morning routine as a way to, to have privacy and to have that solitude in a really noisy and combative place, which is prison where you have no privacy. The morning routine allowed me to tap into that gratitude perspective every day to continue to water that garden of thoughts as you, as you brought it up uh, and to continue to like grow every step of the way. And that's something that I've maintained every day. Every day, I almost do the same exact thing I was doing in prison because it helps me to just tap in, tap into that gratitude perspective, get clarity, get focused on how I want to show up in that day for my family, for my kids, right, for my wife, for my clients, and just continue to grow as a person. So, uh, yeah, that, that book, though, Think and Grow Rich, it changed my life. And then more recently, I read a book by Robert Kiyosaki, uh, Castle of Quadrants, and that's a great one. You know, I like the way that he teaches and he, he writes his books, and everyone's heard of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but Castle of Quadrants, the reason I loved it so much is because it's about the, the mindset shift that needs to take place when you want to go from maybe struggling or working that nine to five or living paycheck to paycheck. Like I was brought up in a household where I was, I was hearing all the things that kept me mentally poor, right? Oh, money doesn't grow on trees. Rich people are crooks. All this negative stuff about money. So unconsciously, I probably had a negative view or perspective about money and finance and stuff like that. But as a coach and someone who wants to provide and create uh, an amazing life for my family and really change like the trajectory of my family's lineage going forward, um, I, I want to evolve. I want to be able to provide and I want to be able to do these amazing things. So again, it was the timing. I read that book and it just resonated so perfectly with me and what I'm going through in my life right now. So those are two that kind of stand out to me, one in prison and one just this last, earlier this year. Thank you so much, man. I, I love uh, what you've mentioned. I think there's something about cultivating our minds, right? That allows. So I, I really believe I'm currently writing a book right now. And uh, the book is all about gratitude, growth, and giving. And I, I really believe like to my core that those are the three principles that bring true fulfillment in life, right? Like true happiness, joy, right? Because when we're in life, like even in jail, right? You learned you could be grateful for things. You were growing. You started reading. Your mind is expanding. You 
are like thirsty for new knowledge and information on how you can and applying it and realizing that your life can be wonderful. And then giving back, you get out of jail and now you're giving all of this wonderful information to people. And I really believe based off of my own experience in life, that those three things, uh, and this what you've shared with us today really confirm that, right? That those are the grand keys to, to happiness. And I just feel so thankful for everything that you have shared today. I want to ask you maybe a couple more things. I'm loving being able to to interview you here. And I'm just grateful for your friendship. And again, I would encourage people that are interested in learning more from, from Sean, right? You can follow him on Instagram, on Instagram, excuse me, at Sean Michael Crane, right? And then seanmichaelcrane.org is where you can learn more about his, his coaching programs, but very inspiring individual. Um, so the total amount of time you were in prison was seven years. When you were released, Right. Because I'd imagine this was just this feeling of like, oh my gosh, it's over. Right. It's done. Because that's a long time. I mean, that is a really long time to be somewhere. Um, man, but you made up for that time by all of the things that you were doing while you were, you know, uh, in jail. But I, as, you, as you got out of jail, what were some of those first initial feelings you had when you were set free? Well, the, the excitement envisioning that moment is one of the things that keeps you going, you know, just like envisioning that moment. Uh, it's truly indescribable. You know, it's like thinking about Christmas morning as a kid magnified by a million. And so when that day comes though, what happens is you see a lot of guys before they get out and all of a sudden they look very stressed out. It's this really interesting thing that takes place where anxiety and fear start to kick in. Can I live a good life? Is everything going to be the same or am I going to be different? Um, am I going to go back to prison? Like guys all of a sudden start having these fears and you would think it would be the exact opposite, nothing but joy and gratitude. So I was aware of that. I'd seen it happen time and time again. And uh, there was a couple of days where I was anxious as well. You know, I was just anxious. I wanted to get out and do good. And I, I really cared about myself and my life. And I was worried about messing up. Uh, not necessarily that I was going to, but you just have these, the unknowns, right? These um, fears that we make up in our own mind. But the day came and it was incredible. It was truly incredible. My brother and sister picked me up and we were out in the desert in California and we drove straight to the ocean in Huntington Beach, California. And it was uh, uh, October, but there was this like record heat wave coming through California. So it was 90 degrees and it was just this beautiful picture perfect day at the beach. And we actually went out in the ocean. My brother and I found this little shack on the beach that rented surfboards and we went out and we surfed my first day back out. So how did that feel? Was that just amazing? It was was incredible. It was literally the perfect way to come back home because as a kid, I loved to surf. That's when I felt the most alive. Really one of the times in my life, I felt the most joy and gratitude. And here I was going through this life-changing transformation. And now I'm back out in the Pacific ocean. There was like 10 foot waves. And so we paddled out and I caught one wave. The first wave I caught dropped in and just like the energy, the surge of energy going through my body from the ocean. It was indescribable. And it, it was a day I'll never forget. You know, it was, it was magnetic. It was amazing. So that was my introduction back into society as the new version of myself. But that first month or two was difficult. I was staying in a trailer on my aunt and uncle's property. I had $200. That was it. They give you $200 when you get out. And I had nothing else. I had no car, no material items. 
Absolutely nothing. I mean, my possessions I could carry in a bag. You know, I had a bag over my shoulder when I left prison and that was all I had. And so, you know, that two months, there was a lot of anxiety. There really was because I had a job with my uncle and his company that I could take and I could just make a decent amount of money and kind of live a decent life. That's the way I describe it. You know, I was sober. I had a job. I could find a wife and, and just live an ordinary life. But I didn't want that. I felt like the experience I had gone through uh, happened to me for a specific purpose. And I felt it was my responsibility to bring my message to the world and reach those individuals who are trapped in that mental prison before it's too late, before they get to the end of their life and think, why didn't I go for it? Why did I hold back? Why didn't I pursue that dream business? Or why didn't I you know, take better care of my relationships or my health? Why did I live that way? And there's no do-overs. And when I was incarcerated, I literally felt like I died and got a second chance at life. And what I felt in that moment, you know, I've tried to display through my actions ever since. Words don't justify what I experienced. Like I can't describe it, but I could try to show it and help people to feel it and just be that leader for people. So that's what I've been doing ever since. But that first two months, it was stressful because it was how am I going to go from a prisoner to a coach? Like, how do I transcend that gap? What's the first step? And what I was able to do is secure a job in a gym uh, in, in my hometown. And I took that opportunity to start working with people. I got certified as a personal trainer and I started building relationships. And from there, I left and started my own fitness company. And then from there again, I evolved and started my life coaching business and took it online and created an online platform and just continued to share my story and reach people. And now my, my coaching business has served men all across the world. I've had international clients. I've had men in every state throughout the country. And I just continue to grow and expand because I know where I'm going. I know what I want to accomplish. And every day I'm just moving towards it. And these months go by, these years go by, and I just see the progress. And I'm grateful because I know I went through that experience for a, a purpose, a definitive reason. And I'm able to now come home and articulate why and see the changes that people are making in their lives and how they're showing it differently for their family or their community. And it's incredible. It's incredible. So I feel like I'm just getting started, man. I feel like I'm just getting started. And I've never been more grateful and inspired than I am now to continue going. Dude, well, I think everyone who knows you is inspired by you and your story. And I just am so thankful for your friendship and who you are as a person. I mean, paradoxically, prison set you free, right? I mean, prison, prison, honestly, set you free. And I think that's amazing. And what a great mission that you're on to be able to help other individuals be, be set free from their own mental prisons. Uh, what a great mission, man. And so, yeah, I want to thank Sean again for being on the show. This has been exceptional. Go follow this guy, right? Learn from him. What a great, I mean, so many countless innumerable people need to be able to learn how to have the type of mindset that Sean has been able to develop through a lot of hard work and discipline, putting in the work. This guy is, I mean, he's a legend. It's great, right? Go to seanmichaelcrane.org to learn more about his programs. This guy's as good as they come. Thank you for being on the show today, Sean. Appreciate you so much, man. Hey, likewise, Roger. I really appreciate you having me on. Hey, you bet, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right.